0: Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday the 11th of November 2020 and it's time for your Morning espresso. So if you're watching this live as ever, you can click below and you will see various translations. Um, We have different language options and uh, a simultaneous translation, so uh, that option is just below if you're watching live. Also, you have a q and button, which you can click there. Um, alternatively, you can send emails to nordiafunds at nordia.com. Right, for this week's ESG Insight, uh, I have Harry uh, Grenquist with me, and he is an ESG Analyst within the Responsible uh, Investment Team. So good morning, Harry. Oh, good, mo- good morning. Hi, Chris. there you are. Good to see you. <laughs> Likewise. Good. So um, this weekend, we saw uh, or oh, we got final confirmation that uh, that Biden is going to be the next uh, president. And he's already talked about um, seeing to it that, you know, the US comes back into the Paris Accord, uh, which of course is about the decarbonisation of economies around the world. So my first question is really, you know, how important is uh, carbonization, measuring carbonized carbonization um, with our, within our investments? Uh, what role does that play?
1: It's incredibly important. Um, and it's, it's important, especially in cases like when the US stepped out of the Paris Agreement because that didn't make it any less important to look at the corporate behavior uh, in the decarbonization space, uh, quite the opposite. So so being able to, to track uh, emissions performance of our investments is is really key. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, we all know that in the long-term the, the world needs to to decarbonize quite drastically and, and quite heavily. So when we devise our, our investment strategies, we need to ensure that they are both supportive of or compliant with that trend, but also resilient to all of the, the, the risk uh, elements that, that that brings with it. Uh, so in, in practice, you can really think of it in, in two ways. The first is that when we look at the emission uh, profiles of our investments uh, and their behavior, we, we of course need to make sure that those emissions are going down over time. Um, but another aspect which is sometimes a little bit overlooked is that that we also need to make sure that we are well positioned to invest in the companies that are actually providing all of the technological and societal solutions that actually enable decarbonisation to, to happen at, at the right scale.
0: Mm. And of course, being the finance industry, we've managed to come up with a really complicated way of, <laughs> of measuring uh, different carbon emissions for the purposes of, of, uh, of our portfolio analysis. Um, and so they're categorized into different scope levels. And I, I just wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about uh, the different scopes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you look at emissions, because it has to do with you know what future does this company have, it needs. It means that you really need to look at how the company is sort of positioned in the economy, and and what are the different types of emissions that are relevant to look at for this company. Right. Um, Generally speaking, we we tend to categorize these into three or sometimes four categories and this is regulated by something called the greenhouse gas protocol so there's a standardized way of doing this mm-hmm. um and the most intuitive component of, of this is what we call scope one emissions or direct carbon emissions and that really has to do with anything that happens within the company's own facilities so if they have a, a factory the emissions come coming out of that factory's chimney those mm-hmm. are scope one emissions yeah and then we, then we have scope two and three which are more Indirect emissions. So so if you think, you know, as a consumer, if you go to the store and buy a product, then you can think of it in terms of what are all the emissions that have to happen to deliver this product to my footstep, Mm -hmm. right? So indirect emissions include uh, the company's use of electricity and the emissions associated with that. That scope mm-hmm. two but we're, we're also looking at scope three which is you know all of the other parts of the the product life cycle so you know upstream what are what were the emissions associated with you know extracting the materials and minerals needed to produce this product all of the transportation uh, aspects as well as the actual use of the product itself
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you know a, a good example of, of you know how significant scope three can be has to do with things like fossil fuels so if you look at a typical oil and gas company, you'll see that often around 85 to 90% of the total emissions associated with them have to do with, you know, the point of combustion when the consumers actually burn the, the petrol, for example, mm-hmm. okay. right? Um, and then lastly, we also have something that isn't regulated by, by the greenhouse gas protocol, but that we sometimes call scope four or avoided emissions. And that really has to do with understanding this aspect around, you know, our companies having a, a positive contribution to the economy's emissions? So, you know, a good mm-hmm. example of this would be someone like uh, a wind turbine manufacturer, like producing the windmills comes with some emissions. Yeah. But then when you look at the economy wide effect, it actually has a benefit. And that's yeah. something that, that we capture in, in, in avoided emissions.
0: Mm-hmm. I think another one is carbon fiber, isn't it? Because it's quite intense to produce that carbon fiber, but of course the long-term effects of having lighter aircraft, for example, exactly. uh, far outweighs that. So uh, I'm sure there's plenty of examples. It doesn't make things any easier for us trying to report this to our clients, but I think it's really uh, that was a really clear way of uh, explaining it. So so thank you for that. In terms of um, working with decarbonization, there, there are a number of ways that we can work with this. And I think you've got a slide coming up now with an example of two different ways of working with it
1: right exactly yes yeah. yeah. so, so, so the, the primary way that we measure our, our emissions in, in our investment strategies and you know we follow all of the, the best practices in this is to look at the, the weighted average emissions intensity uh, of our investments mm-hmm. yeah. but then if you if want to take it you know a forward-looking um, approach to actually like bringing that intensity down over time there are really two levers that you have to play with right? Mm -hmm. And the first of them you can think of in terms of reallocation. So maybe today you have some investments in high emissions intensity sectors. So then one way to bring your uh, average intensity down is to shift your allocation more towards lower emissions intensity sectors, right? That, that's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, but what we need to understand about that strategy is that because it's, it's based on a realloc- reallocation uh, principle, it doesn't actually require any of the individual companies to decarbonize at all. Because you know, if you just have more low emissions intensity companies, they don't actually have to change in order for you to look better. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that that it also doesn't capture is: um, Does the company have an emissions reduction strategy in place? Do they have emission emissions targets? Um, because it's, it's based on you know historical data from from last year. In most cases, it doesn't have that forward-looking element. Mm-hmm. So so the other approach that we can also work with to bring um, our emissions profile down over time is to actually actively invest in companies who are reducing their emissions, right? Mm-hmm. So then then you're requiring at the level of individual companies to see that they have a decarbonization strategy, that they have emissions targets. Yeah. And, and another benefit of that is that that allows you to actually invest in the companies that are delivering real emissions reductions in the real economy. That's so critical for the transition to actually happen. Um, Mm -hmm. so we're not decoupling what we do from what the companies are doing and and by the way this is also a very very useful context for a lot of the climate focused dialogues and and engagements that that we have with companies in in the high-emitting sectors.
0: Fantastic well thank you very much for for taking us through that Um, we're going to be running every other week we're going to be running a, a sort of insight into the ESG side of things. So uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking again, uh, in the not too distant future. But uh, in the meantime, thanks a lot, Harry and uh, speak to you soon, no doubt.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Paul.
0: So now we move on to the main session uh, for this morning, and uh, we're having a discussion this morning around our European Stars equity strategy. And for that, I'm pleased to tell you that I have the two co portfolio managers, uh, Rene Peterson and Frederick Weber, with me this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Hi, Frederick. Hey. Um, and is Rene there? I'm here. Just had to unmute. Hi, hello. Good morning. So, uh, three more days to go. On the 14th of November, we have a little party, a little celebration because the fund will have uh, its three-year track record, which is often obviously a, an important uh, milestone for for our investors. Um, now, over that time, actually, we're looking at an outperformance of something like uh, 6% per annum, uh, that's grosser fees versus your benchmark. Um, so that's pretty impressive. And I think you're also top quartile in your Morningstar category. So uh, all good news. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, what's your competitive edge? What's, what's different about this fund?
2: Yes, good, uh, good morning, Paul. So, so uh, very happy to do that. Uh, of course, uh, we, we have very happy and, and proud about the performance so far. And we also think this is a, a proof that our investment strategy with an integrated ESG uh, approach is, is actually working very nicely. Yeah. So, so we're also happy to, to of course, show that, that choosing an investment strategy with a sustainability focus in doesn't necessarily mean that you need to sacrifice uh, your, your return profile. Hmm. But but maybe maybe reflecting on, on, on our competitive edges, I think that this this, this combination about positive selection of ESD winner combined with, with our strong fundamental uh, analysis approach is, is what has been key and then again putting the layer uh, uh, with, with active ownership uh, and, and engagement uh, with the companies on, on top have, have been very supportive for our investment performance. So so of course we're very, very happy to go into more details about uh, what, what exactly distinguishes our strategy from 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 other investment strategies, but but as shown in this uh, kind of a nice slide, it is the the full ESG integration between our team and and the responsible investment team. I think it really have have differentiated us versus, versus our peers.
0: Mm. Yeah, I want to come back to that engagement point a bit later, if if that's alright. But um... yeah. So, uh, you know, Nordea, whenever we talk about STARS funds, uh, that's, we're referring to our dedicated ESG uh, strategies. Um, and uh, You have a slide on this as well. I, I've seen, uh, and you've named it the three by three approach. So maybe you could explain what the three by three approach is.
3: Absolutely. Uh, it's about uh, the integration of ESG and uh, fundamental, financial fundamental uh, analysis uh, in our uh, ongoing due diligence process, whether it's before investing or while we are invested. It's, a, you could say, 360 degree walk around uh, the company. And uh, we think there are, are synergies to be achieved as uh, the ESG process and the uh, fundamental analysis process are interlinked. I can give brief example of that. So typically mm-hmm. uh, a starting point would be uh, to look at a company from a fundamental uh, perspective. Uh, how is the market uh, they are serving? Uh, what's the growth rate? Uh, how fragmented is it? Is it? A, consolidated marketplace um, and 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 uh, what's their profitability and and um, uh, how good at, are they at, at driving cash flows to uh, to, uh, to the bottom line mm-hmm. in our world uh, that has to be balanced by uh, uh Say governance and social responsibility uh, uh, parameters on how well, for example, the, the corporate strategy is is aligned to serve uh, the purpose of the company. So, do they have? Do management have a long term view in their incentive scheme? Uh, and and what's, uh, how are their uh, remuneration packets uh, uh, composed? Mm-hmm. Um, for example. Uh, and I- if you're a, a global company, uh, you have to have that being represented in the board of directors as well, both on gender equality and and uh, internationalization of, of uh, board of directors, if you're serving a, uh, a, a global marketplace. And, mm. it, and it, 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 it's all about uh, having an assessment of how sustainable the competitive edge of, of the company is and how well aligned uh, the strategy is uh, with that purpose uh, uh, to get the most out of it for, for all uh, stakeholders, not just uh, equity uh, shareholders.
0: Okay, but something like 99% of the MSCI Europe is covered by external ESG rating agencies. Um, and I think the benchmark is, is also double is A rated. Um, so obviously one of the strengths that we have is that we have this strong collaboration between you know, yourselves, the investment team and the responsible investment team that, that Harry works for. Um, so we have this dedicated ESG analyst. We have a proprietary research that we do um, and proprietary databases. But how much value add does that internal database really bring? You know, if you consider the fact that we've already got this pretty broad coverage from external providers,
2: I, I think it, it creates a, a lot of value, and I think this is one of our key differentiating point uh, for for the entire Stars product range versus versus many of our peers. Uh, and the focus we have on, on positive, le- positive selection, I, I guess, is designed. To identify future ESD winners, rather than ex- exclude the ESD losers, and this means we need a, a, a thorough analysis of, of the potential investment case uh, from several angles, uh, and including uh, the, 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 uh, the I, including the, 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 the Analysis the responsible investment teams they are they are they are coming up with, so okay. so maybe just to give you some some example of, of the difference between the positive selection and and the negative exclusion, mm-hmm. uh, so 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 as you can hear we need to lower our, our emission from from what Harry just presented to to reach the two uh, degree scenario, and 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 if you turn that into the investment implication then we can choose to go either the exclusion way. And that could, for instance, be excluding the, the oil majors uh, and the coal companies that are the, on the wrong side of, of, of this uh, solution. Mm-hmm. And and we also believe that it makes a lot of uh, sense not to invest in these companies that, that are on the wrong side. But but the best you can get is is that these companies, they underperform the market. Where if, if, if you take the positive selection as an alternative, then mm-hmm. you try to identify companies that are part of the solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the for the future, and and I, I mean, a good example of that could be a company like uh, Valeo that that we hold in in our strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this company this, this is an auto supplier uh, that, that used to to supply the internal combustion engine with with, with products, but but some years ago the, this company started to invest uh, its R&D budget into the electrification of the car, uh, and an a leader in the space. So so this company is very very well positioned to. Today, today, to benefit from from the structural changes we see towards more electrification of, of the car engine, and and is now part of the solution. And this is an example of a positive selection where we make, and and when we identify such an investment opportunities, then we work very closely with the IR team to make sure that a company like this is is continuously on the on the right side uh, when doing this transition. And, and we can't just use a, a, a sorry to say it, but dumb rating score to identify such an opportunity. We, we, we need a, a good uh, thorough ESG analysis. And this is where uh, combining the II team with, with the fundamental investment team really makes sense to, to find these positive cases that, that are part of the solution and make a positive contribution also to the return of the portfolio.
0: Yeah, and I, and I guess this brings up a, a sort of really interesting related part um, because you mentioned this company that's, that's sort of transitioning. I think many of us consider like Europe to be a, a, a head of the curve in terms of ESG investing, um, certainly when compared to the US, which is playing catch up now, and, and Asia, where it's not really a topic right, right now for the for the time being. I think the same could be said actually of the political side as well. I think there's a lot of political will to, to move forward on this. Um, I just wondered, is this something that's common among the the companies that you're researching and that, that you're having dialogues with. I mean, it is this typical this example that you just brought.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, this is, I guess, typical. And and you're probably right that in Europe we are a little bit ahead on the EST terms in many ways, and this create many uh, investment opportunities for for European companies. Mm. Uh, and many of them they can provide, su- uh, uh, and solu- can provide solutions, especially mm. in the decarbonisation space. Uh, but 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 uh, i mean and, and they also have taken many of the the cost to transist so so on the, that side they on, uh, on a good side but i mean i mean there's also problems in europe and and we're not perfect in terms of the est side either and in here it's, it's basically the s and the g side where we sometimes lack, obvious and and an example of that could be a combined combination of the ceo and, and chairman role we also have many conglomerates in Europe still with with quite poor capital allocation. Uh, Gender diversity in the boardroom is also an example where Mm. where we often see uh, European companies lacking international peers. So so even though we in Europe are uh, very much ahead, uh, then it's often on the E where where we somehow lack on the S and the G. Mm. Uh, And and of course, these companies, they don't normally change themselves. So this is why the engagement part of our investment process where that where that is coming into play, so we can try to push these companies in in a more sustainable direction, uh, which which also in the end improve the the, the capital return, a uh, potential return
0: of these company. Mm. So you mentioned it again, so I'm <laughs> going to ask you a question about it because uh, right at the beginning you mentioned engagement and and it's just come up again. So uh, it's my opportunity to ask the question because, you know, obviously you're engaging with with lots of companies all the time, and and I'm guessing that you can't probably talk about uh, the cases that are ongoing. But I just wondered, do you have an example of an engagement case historically that's, that's now been closed that you could tell us about?
3: Uh, yeah, well, it, it is actually still ongoing, but we are probably okay. past the critical uh, phase. Uh, so uh, back in 2016, uh, we invested in a gear group from uh, Germany. It's a uh-huh. food handling equipment manufacturer for example uh, producing milking equipment for the uh, farming uh, industry and um, they've grown a lot by uh, by acquisitions however mm-hmm. the uh, the integration lagged and their profitability uh, measures were were underperforming we started an engagement process uh, with the company in 2017 along with another uh, fund manager, Elliot, Elliot, uh, and uh, actually took it all the way to the board in uh, 2018, uh, as we also started to see uh, that, that it was not only on, you could say, financial metrics that they were starting to lack, but also on ESG, Uh, related metrics such as uh, high labor turnover. Uh, So uh, employment or employee satisfaction ratios were also uh, going down. Uh, In uh, in 2019, uh, a a new management team was uh, put in place uh, to improve uh, on the situation and getting the company uh, more integrated. Uh, and uh, we recently had a follow-up uh, call with the new management and and it 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 it, it looks promising it looks promising uh, we think they are we, we think they understand the situation are uh, heading in the right direction on on the metrics that we uh, that we uh, uh, faced them with
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is this a company that you're invested in or is this just one that you're looking at
3: Oh, we have been invested in this company for a long time yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but i mean it's it's, it's ongoing processes engagement uh, they they i mean they never end if you are happy and engaged you should uh, you should uh, continue the conversation yeah, of
0: course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um another question not perhaps directly related to this but uh The European indices, you know, if you look at them, you've got large weightings towards the banks, towards energy, you know, names like that, and that means that, certainly historically, uh, Europe's often considered as as a as a sort of value market. And I just wondered whether you'd consider yourselves as value investors.
3: Yeah, well, it's back to slide two uh, that I uh, I went through a couple of minutes back. we do not screen for value stocks on on any uh, metrics. Uh, initially, in our due diligence process, we are we are style agnostic, that is, mm-hmm. I don't screen in a database for companies that are valued below intrinsic value or uh, below certain levels of peace. Uh, I, I don't really know what's what's cheap or expensive on on these levels. So Uh, In our process, we're making due diligence on the uh, sustainability of the company's uh, position uh, and strategy uh, by our free-by-free key approach. And it's really that assessment compared to what is embedded in in the current market price or what the current market price is an expression for that that decides whether uh, we will invest. So it's not about... Whether it's cheap uh, on on a a single measure, because we take a three hundred degree uh, 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 you could say view of the company uh, mm-hmm. on a long term basis. Okay, but we so, are silent. Agn- but I I I, yeah. I I would happily repeat that we are silent. agnostic. Good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so in that case, so if a client's going to invest in European equities, um, you know. Why should they consider an ESG strategy rather than take a sort of more traditional kind of fund?
2: I mean, we we think that there are several reasons why it makes a lot of sense to to invest uh, with ESG. Uh, I mean, we we do in general see a a clear path toward more sustainability in in the broader society. And this is both driven by politicians and it's driven by consumers. And, And it makes sense to try to identify companies that provide solutions. And will be the winner in this ESG and sustainability transition we're seeing uh, around the world, and also we, we, we see this uh, effect in terms of investor positioning, uh, as I also think is highlighted on on, on on this graph, mm. where we have seen a structurally outflow in, in in funds that that don't uh, take ESG into consideration, and a structural inflow in funds that that does take ESG in, into consideration. Mm. So I'm. Um, uh, we, we believe it's very dangerous uh, not to be or uh, to be on the wrong side of this and not taking this into account in, mm. in the investment uh, uh, decision uh, you're making. Uh, and also, many of these old common uh, old econ- on economy companies, if we should call them that, mm. I mean, if they if they wake up and and improve, then then it will be costly for them to transition to, to being ESD uh, uh, positive. Uh, of course, this is something we will be following closely in terms of you can identify some companies that actually managed to, to from, from a sleepy company to, to some, to a company having uh, solutions uh, and, and coming on the right side, but it, but it can be dangerous. And, and I think this is a, uh, this can be seen, seen here uh, in mm. terms of uh, where the investor flows uh, are going. And then as uh, uh, seen uh, with, with the performance of, of our strategies until now, I mean, you don't need to sacrifice the, the return by doing this. So yeah, mm. clearly, clearly see this as a, That's uh, that's very important.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, this is a fairly short time frame. I think things are just starting now. I think this is the beginning of the journey. So um, it'll be interesting to to see that updated over the years and see how that continues. Uh, I'm sure it's going in one direction. So just finally, we're running a little bit short on time, but uh, I did want to ask you um, about the sort of macro view, because right now, of course, most of Europe is, is in the second lockdown, albeit lockdown light, if you like. Um, the markets are sort of a little bit all over the place. Uh, companies are sort of closing down. So give, give me some positive a positive message that we can pass on to our clients uh, these days, um, particularly obviously from a European perspective. Yeah, sure.
3: Uh, well, uh, markets are looking six to nine months ahead. Uh, so for example, uh, during the uh, global financial crisis till uh, 12 years ago, markets bottomed in, in March, April, uh, 09, but uh, the economy's only uh, bottomed uh, six to nine months later. And, and it's the same thing in the spring, uh, late spring, the market started to rise on prospects for, for policy uh, response. Uh, and, and, and right now uh, we have prospects for an effective uh, Vaccine. And very, very supportive policy response uh, globally. And meanwhile, uh, economies are still operating. Uh, We have learned to cope uh, without uh, closing down uh, economies as in the spring. And then the last thing uh, you know, the alternative to uh, equity investments. Aren't really that attractive, and sometimes e- maybe even negative. Uh, mm. So, so I'm 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 I'm
0: optimistic.
3: I'm optimistic. Yeah.
0: Great. So, on that point, I think we'll uh, we'll just wrap up with the key takeaways. So, we have a summary slide uh, to share with you, and here we go. So, if we just quickly whip through these, if there's anything you'd like to add at the end, uh, Frederick or Rene, then. then be my guest but um, just to reiterate the aim of the ESG stars uh, that whole family in fact not just the fund that that you guys manage um, is to deliver a combination of attractive risk-adjusted returns and sustainability and actually we think the two are are so closely linked that you know you don't have to give up one for the other. Um, European companies uh, tend to have the, that stakeholder focus, uh, perhaps more so than in the US and in, in emerging markets, um, and you know you were talking about it earlier. This stronger willingness to to adjust uh, to the societal sort of side of things, and then finally, um, Europe is is uh, the world's political, environmental, and decarbonisation leader. Um, we think that that tailwind will certainly carry um, some weight for. Uh, European companies and, uh, um, you know, particularly those that are looking at decarbonisation and already have this green profile um, because uh, they're already along that path of, of uh, addressing the issues that uh, that others are going to have to face as time goes goes on. Anything else you'd like to say before we, we finish today?
2: I think that was very well said, Paul. So thank <laughs> you for wrapping up. <laughs> you said it all.
0: You said it all. <laughs> I was just repeating what you said. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys, uh, for your time today. Um, And uh, yeah, I look forward to to catching up with you again uh, soon. Okay, great. Um, So next week, Wednesday, the 18th of November, I will have Gino Boffer joining me. Um, Gino will be giving us some insights into our conservative fixed income strategy. And that could potentially be a good option for those who are struggling to know where to safely put their cash to work. So please do join us for that. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert website. You will find that at nordia.lu. And on that microsite, you'll find previous interviews that we've done. We have podcasts as well as Q&As. That's it. I'll see you next Wednesday.